Hello, my name is Sir Knight, and I will be having a conversation with Joe. Oh, hey, what's going on, y'all? For the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on experiences of trans-identifying people. It is May 22nd, 2019, and this is being recorded at Mid-Manhattan Library. Joe, we're just so happy to have you here. Um, the New York City Trans Oral Project is a community archive of transgender uh, resilience, uh, resistance, and survival in New York City. Uh, Black Trans TV's goal is to share the narratives of people who love, live, and look like us. This interview will be a collaboration between Black Trans TV and the New York Public Library to highlight the brilliant oral history of Black folks' trans experience. So, can you please start with your name and your pronouns? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Joe, um, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs for anyone not black, and bruh fam for those who are. Sounds good. So I just wanted to start with what visibility looks like to you and why it's important, especially as a black trans individual. Yeah, good question. I think essentially when I think about visibility, I think about what I went through as a youth and how I didn't know that there were people like me who looked like me and thought the way that I did for a very, very long time. And it, and it created a barrier between me and my identity. I couldn't really pierce through the wall that was um, just heteronormativity. Um, and also, it was hard for me to actually visualize what my future could look like and what my future could be. So when I think about visibility now and the work that I do, it's really important to be able to provide that opportunity for people to see themselves at a really early age so that they can grow up and be who they feel that they are inside and not necessarily what other people tell them that they should be. Great. Um, how was Baby Joe? Can you describe Baby Joe so that we can see it with you and um, experience how yeah. Baby Joe was feeling, um, navigating gender and sexuality and all that stuff? Yeah. Just take me down the road. <laughs> For sure. I mean, Baby Joe essentially was um, a kid with a head full of hair, twisty braids or twists and... Um, at a very early age, an ability to distinctively decide what they wanted for themselves. Um, for a long time, I mean, for as long as I could remember specifically, I've always been queer. I've always been just a different kind of kid. You know, um, I wasn't really into like, you know, boys at a really young age. I was always kind of really just on my own path, doing my own thing, mostly identifying in ways that the boys were identifying, wanting to play ball and do all the things that the, you know, that the boy, the little boys did. Um, and so obviously because of that, my parents and my great grandparents who were the ones raising me were directly combating that, you know, trying to steer me in the right path of what it meant to be a little girl when I never really identified as such. So I think essentially for from my early ages to my teenage years, it was essentially me just trying to resist. Um, essentially, completely and always have been me resisting whatever my parents were saying, whatever society was saying, whatever my teachers were saying um, about what I could and could not do. As I got into my teenage years, um, 
or even like just preteen. I remember like 12, 13, you know, 14. I remember just being very confused as to why I had to do the things that I that I was told that I had to do. I remember stuffing clothes inside of my backpack. I remember I remember even as early as like fourth grade identifying when I first I remember this day I got it was a brand new school. I switched schools a lot. So this was a brand new school. I had a fresh outfit, fresh pair of jeans, fresh t-shirt. My dad had just bought me some Jordans. So essentially I looked I did not look like a girl. I, nothing about me was feminine presenting. I had my hair in individual braids, so I kind of looked like little Bow Wow. Right? And so a lot of people, when I came to, I remember coming to the school, all the girls turned their head. This is my fourth grade, I'll never forget. And they looked at me, and I remember someone said, oh, he's fine, that's little Bow Wow. And I, used, I felt so proud. I felt so excited. I felt like, wow, like, they think I'm a little bow. I could definitely pull this off. And so I did for like a whole week. I never went to the bathroom with the girls. I just kind of stuck like just, oh, no, I don't need to go to a bathroom. Or if it was my turn, I'd just go. I was taking chances and risks and going to the boys' bathroom and just going into a stall. Um, and it wasn't until I had, them, I had them call me. I forgot what I had them call me. I feel like it was Jordan or something like that. Um, and I asked my teacher if they could call me Jordan. But because this is the South, it didn't last long. Eventually, my teachers told my mother that I was passing for a little boy <laughs> and that I was, like, you know, telling girls that I was a little boy. And I definitely got it for that. My mother was not happy, was not pleased. Um, ever since that moment, she was always just checking me, checking my clothes, checking what I was wearing. And so it wasn't until I got into my teenage years where I, my mother didn't really have the energy at that point. I had a lot of siblings. So I was able to kind of get away with a lot more um, in my earlier years. And then as I got into like high school, high school, like 10th grade, 11th grade, um, that's when I really started breaking out and just do, really doing my own thing. My space was available at that point. So I was seeing a whole bunch of different people who looked like me. I was seeing like femme, like femmes and femme women like coming through and like, hitting me up and like being interested in what I was doing and they thought I was cute and like that was like a whole like I would spend so much because of that because I didn't really experience that in my reality in my into it like immediate reality I would spend at least like 10 hours a day on my space like all of my time was dedicated to the internet, connecting with people who looked like me, seeing that, oh, I was, I thought that now, at this point, I thought that I was Joel Santana. Like, I thought, <laughs> I thought that I was like some, like some G. Like, I thought that I was wearing my long tees. I was wearing my bandana. Mm -hmm. My mother was like, you could imagine her like melt, like her face just like melting <laughs> anytime I came downstairs ready to go to school. So, yeah, it was a lot of me just like, you know, her, resisting, checking my backpack. No, you can't wear that. No, you can't do that. Why are you dressing like this? What are you doing? Are you gay? I don't know. It was a lot of like, I don't know. But then it, it got to a point, I remember on my 15th birthday, I realized that I was, the first person I told was my father because he was my biological father. He was the person that I was most disconnected to. So I didn't actually care what he thought either way. And the crazy thing is, you know, I told him I was gay and he, to, well, just, uh, yeah, so I, was, I was like, I'm gay. Because that's what, just what yeah, you say. Yeah. And I was like, I'm gay. And he just took a step back. And he was like, well, you know, 
your grandmother's gay too. I was like, what? what? Yeah, I did had no clue, wow. no clue, no clue whatsoever. And I was like, what? Like he's like, yeah. I was like, what do you like? Why didn't y'all tell me? <laughs> why didn't y'all tell? That would have changed everything. Yeah. Going back to visibility, like that would have changed the dynamic of who I thought I respected my grandmother immensely. So that would have changed the whole dynamic of like who sure. I thought I was, what I could do, what I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you I, close with your grandmother now? Well, she passed, but I, I, I was, I was close to her, not as close as I wanted to be, but definitely close to her. Um, and like, after I came out, like she kind of like took me under her wing and like introduced me to all her dyke friends. And like, <laughs> <laughs> we was all sitting on the porch drinking beers. Like it was really, it was a really good experience, but so yeah. It, and as I got a little bit older, like into my like 17, 18, I dropped out of school when I was um, at, in 11th grade. So I was probably like 17 at that point. A full-fledged dyke, couldn't tell me nothing. Rainbow shirts, rainbow belt, rainbow hat, rainbow sneakers, rainbow everything. Um, talking to any girl that looked at me, like, you know, I really, I was feeling myself. My mother didn't know what to do. She was just like, you know. Um, and so I ended up dropping out of school and like just really from there, like I went to Job Corps, which is like a, a it could be a vocational training program. It's a government um, um, initiated uh, program for people who want to go, like young kids and um, young adults who want to go and get their GED or high school diploma and or a trade. So I went down there, dykes everywhere, <laughs> gay people everywhere. <laughs> no, without abandon, everyone was doing whatever they wanted to do because their parents weren't there. It was an extremely eye-opening experience for me. That's when I had my first official girlfriend, like for real, for real. And um, it made me realize that I never wanted to go back to what I was doing before, pretending or trying to fight. I knew that after that moment, I was 17 when I was down there. I told myself when I was 18, I was going to move out. I was going to do whatever I want to do. I was not going to go back living with my mother's house. Um, And so ever since I I graduated, did my thing, got my own apartment, and I've been diking ever since. I've been doing my own thing, doing what I want. And I think essentially my whole childhood has been me resisting, Mm -hmm. doing exactly what I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. finding out more information about how I can be my best me, my Mm -hmm. truest me. And even now into my late 20s, we still riding, we still doing that. Yeah, so resistance. I was literally about to ask about that, so it's a perfect uh, segue. So do you feel like, you were called to do the, the work that you're doing now, right? Like, I know you created Black Boy Complex, yeah. right? And I truly believe that that platform, we'll have you tell people more about that, but that, that platform is an act of resistance. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit more about Black Boy Complex and how you came to get to that point, right? Because you dropped out of school, went to job for yeah. How did you get to Black Boy Complex? Okay, good. Cool. what is Black Boy Complex? I word. So, um, yeah, I'll tell I'll say. I'll, I'll say what how I get how I got to Black Boy Complex first, um, because that kind of shaped what Black Boy Complex was. So I mean, essentially, all my life, I well, I don't know. So after I moved out, um, I joined, like I wanted to get more into the community. That I, I grew up in Atlanta, by the way, just so just to provide a little bit more context, which is honestly the the Black Gay Mecca. Like that's where you go when you want Black and Gay. I not. <laughs> gay and lesbian it's not necessarily the most queer friendly place trans friendly place but people are there people are doing their thing and living and when it comes time to celebrate every sunday everyone's at piedmont park we're all one we're doing our thing having a good time so 
I like kind of just went head first into the community. Um, that was really something that resonated with me. It felt more like my family than my family felt like my family. So I continued to do that. I joined, um, I joined like a house and, um, from there I realized that I had a passion for getting my people together, putting on events, things that they would enjoy providing safe spaces. I was one of the, as, as someone who moved out when they were 18, I was the only, I was one of the only people in my age group who had their own apartment. Everyone was at my house all the time. I was always feeding people. So I was always gathering people in community. Um, as I, when I left Atlanta and moved to New Jersey, um, you know, it, it was me just trying to figure things out early twenties. So that kind of like was a blur dating all kinds of people. But then as I'm I, in my mid twenties, I moved to um, Boston. And that's when I really felt that first hit. Like that's when I felt the hit of racism. That's when I felt the hit of just feeling like I didn't see a space for myself. Um, Boston was one of the worst and best things that have ever happened to my life. Um, it provided a breakthrough for me to realize exactly what I wanted and what I didn't want. So when I was in Boston, it was ex extremely white spaces everywhere, even the black spaces that we specifically said were for black people or that specifically were for black people were still somehow penetrated by whiteness. And it didn't make me, it, it made me feel like unsafe, specifically coming from a Atlanta where everyone's black all around me. I'm, I don't even go to school with white people. Um, to Jersey, where it's a little bit multicultural, but if I don't want to be around white people, I kind of don't have to be. And then going from Boston, where like, that's it, like, there's just no way to escape. <laughs> there's no way to escape whiteness and like, it's, it's oppressive hold. And like, even white people who want to do real good still, like, sometimes it, um, penetrate. penetrate. It's essentially, it's what it is. They, they, they put themselves in positions to where they're like helping, but they're not helping because they're there. Um, so it was really it was really hard for me to deal with. So I was seeing a whole bunch of spaces, specifically lesbian spaces. If they were black, they were like lesbian spaces and gay men spaces and like queer spaces, but that's where all the white people were. So I was thinking, well, I want a space that's for me. I want a space where I could find some bros, where I could like hang out and kick it and talk about my experiences that are specifically only for black people. And this is around the time where Instagram was like blowing up. Um, and I started to seek that through Instagram. Um, and I remember like thinking like, well, what if I just create a space? What if I create a virtual space where people can come and like talk? What if I make an Instagram and I just go and try to find anyone who looks like me? Because I was also going through um, my gender identity was like switching. I was finding out that I actually didn't really feel like a woman. Like I didn't really identify as like a, a woman. And I was seeing myself as like um, on a different part of the spectrum now and dealing with a whole bunch of issues that I, I wasn't really getting answers to my questions. Um, and I remember Brooklyn boyhood, even when I used to live in Jersey, was always a safe space for me. I remember that's where I found a lot of different people who looked like me, acted like me, dressed like me, like the same music I liked back when, like, listening to, you know, Little Dragon was weird, <laughs> you know, like or stuff like that. You know, I saw people who, who, I, who looked like me, but I wasn't seeing that anywhere. So I was like, well, Brooklyn Boyhood is dope, but they're not, it's not specifically black people. I was like, and, and that's cool. Like, that's, that's their lane. I was like, but I think I want to make something kind of like, what Brooklyn Boyhood has, but like only for black people. And I remember that being the beginning. And so now 
with black like two three years later um black boy complex is now like a really great opportunity for people to come together in spaces and communities specifically black masculine center folks um but we accept you know masculine across masculinity is a is a is a spectrum. You can sit anywhere on masculinity, but specifically, specifically for people who present their masculinity um, um, on a day-to-day basis, um, because we share very specific experiences. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I just call it a virtual safe space where um, Black masculine center um, LGBTQAI folks can go and like be free, be vulnerable, be authentic, talk, be amongst community, essentially just find freedom. So that's what Black Boy Complex is. I love it. And didn't you actually start as a WhatsApp text group when you were searching for people? Actually, the WhatsApp text, the WhatsApp came later because someone said, oh, I saw on Twitter that people were forming groups. Mm. And I was like, well, how can we come together and make sure that WhatsApp, that, that we can communicate together as a community? So that's why I created the WhatsApp Gotcha. Yeah, but I that, just remember that. Yeah, where it came. Yeah, in. that came yeah. after. It's okay. it's it's still there. It's yeah. still going. It's you know how WhatsApp goes. Sometimes it <laughs> just goes dead, and sometimes it's live. I don't know. For sure, for sure. Um, well, speaking of Black Boy Complex, um, what does legacy mean to you, and how are you laying bricks down today in order to build, create that legacy? Right. Mm-hmm. So, where do you see Black Boy Complex, perhaps in like five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, if it continues, or is it just a starting point? for you to branch off to something else? Wow, that's a good question. I think about, like, that's kind of like the question that keeps me up at night. (laughs) Because I think about legacy a lot and what legacy means to me, um, specifically even, like, the legacy that I was left with being my great-grandfather's great-grandchild. It's, and having all these, you know, having the estate and all this art that he left me, I think about, what that means and how like I'm set up for life in a way. And I, and I really want, so when I think about legacy for myself, I wanna be able to do that for other people. I want to be able to set the children up, to set people up who aren't children and just might need a little bit of help or access. I wanna set them up for life. I wanna provide them opportunities. Uh, I want to, to, to be able to give back in a way that is substantial and sustainable for years and years and years. I love that answer. That's a good, good answer. Um, I feel the same way. Exactly. That's why we do <laughs> yeah. Black Trans TV. It's a lot of work, um, a lot of energy. So how do you find balance um, with the work and self-care? What's that? Yeah. To be honest, is what's that? I don't know. I'm still working on it. I feel like I jumped way, I jumped into Black Boy Complex before I jumped into self-care and what that really meant for me and what that looked like. So my first year with Black Boy Complex was real, I mean, officially like with Black Boy Complex on the books as something that some that people can go to, was really shaky for me. It was really a shaky space, um, essentially because I felt like I wasn't doing enough and there wasn't, a, you know, people weren't hitting me up and, you know, social media could really twist your mind and make you feel a little worthless. So essentially it was like a really dark time for me, but now, when it comes to self-care and, and Black Boy Complex and how I find the balance, I'm figuring that out and I'm sharing as I go. I think that's part of the journey of my vulnerability and, you know, um, and being able to be authentic about me just sometimes not having time, sometimes not having space. I was actually just thinking on the way here about all the things that I need to do. And I told myself, you know what, Joe, you need to 
put time on your calendar to make time for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's essentially what I'm going to do as soon as I leave here so I can finish my yard work and do what I have to do. And yard work is self-care for me. Um, also, like, I try not to lean on my partner as much as a femme. I don't want to be the type of person to just continuously dump. So just talking to my friends and eating really good food right now. Like any time that I can now, I'm just like, man, I need to center myself and spend time with myself. And if that means I need to cook myself a meal, if that means I need to call a friend up, then that's what I'll do. Gotcha. Um, when they take it another route, yeah. talk about the, the community as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. So black trans women are dying at alarming rates. Um, yep. This week, we had the murder of three more uh, black trans women. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling um, about that? And I know that you don't identify as someone that is femme or femme presenting, but being that people don't always see you as mask, right? Masculine. Right. So they see you in a feminine body. How are you feeling with that um, juxtaposition of identity where it's like, I know who I am, I'm masculine. People may not remember that. And then women that are... Um, black and trans are being murdered. Like, how does that work for Joe? Like, how are you healing and navigating this moment? That's a good question. I, the first thing that I ever feel when I hear about black people in general, but specifically black trans women, because every woman of trans experience that I know is absolutely, positively, phenomenally brilliant. Like it's like they have this type of angelic, and I don't, and I don't want to like. Obviously, I I want to represent and respect the fact that they are human, but they also have this like otherworldly thing about them that is just so special and should be preserved and honored. So when that life gets taken away from us, I feel incredibly heartbroken extremely angry I literally just be thinking like well that means I need to get my gun license which is on the works like I need to start busting back like I'm ready to die I'm ready to go to jail for my for my sisters like I'm ready to go like let's go to war and I don't know where to start like where do I start with that you know obviously with black boy complex like I tried you know I share um you know information and um I try not to, I try not to share too many too many things because I understand that that can be triggering for some place for some people and even specifically for me sharing black death is really hard um but I do try to keep people in the know and also send people if they want more resources to the people who have them but essentially it's just like well what do I do I mean every essentially for me I don't know how and this might sound weird, but I don't know how to protect black trans women, but I do know how to help them in their lives now. And I know who to give my money to. I know who to make sure has proper housing. That's important. I also would always like to extend my home to black trans women um, who might need a safe space. Um, I keep it a buck. Like, that's just what it is. I've got an extra spare bedroom. Let's get you on your feet. Let's do what we got to do. Um, and that's just how I am essentially with anything. So just as a, as a resource for people, but I, it essentially, I I get heartbroken. I get sad when it comes to me specifically. Um, I've definitely been a victim of quite a few hate crimes when it comes to people and masculine folks, um, specifically cis men, black cis men trying to attack me or attacking me. 
um, and dehumanizing me in a, in a multitude of ways, specifically because essentially they think that I'm their property because I'm, they think, they think that I'm a woman. So it's hard like dealing with that, knowing that like they think that I'm a woman and how could I, how dare I betray them by being a dyke and looking and being and loving the way that I do. And so I don't even like, and that's what, and this is why I go by the word dyke is because no one sees me any other way. I haven't, I haven't begun transitioning. I'm really not interested in transitioning in a, in a medical way. Um, I, I don't have top surgery yet. So when people see me, they see women. Some people even see me as femme, like depending on what I'm, like how I'm dressing and how I'm talking. So yeah, they talk to me, like it feels weird having to navigate that type of space because I don't identify as femme. I don't identify as woman. But because black cis men and cis men in general and the society sees me as such, it's hard for me to be like, you know, but they see me as their property. Essentially, black women, whether it be women of trans experience or black cis women, is America's property. It's America's bitch, America's dog. And so when I still experience, I'm still experiencing those things, it's really hard for me to like feel like I have the power to fight back, that I have the, like, sometimes I don't even have the energy to do that. But then when I step into my, like, when I step into my masculinity and I assert myself, like, hey, don't talk to me like that. Or like, hey, you know, I, like that, I don't identify as that. Like, it's not miss, it's not ma'am, it's not lady, it's none of that. You could just call me Joe. Um, I feel like I'm taking a little bit of power back, but right now it just, I'm just sad. I'm just sad. And um, I don't know what to do besides give my money, share what I can, and love on the black women that are alive. Yeah, I, I resonate with that completely because I don't know what to do to stop them from being murdered. But I know they're sober, they're magical, and they deserve to live. Yeah. But in that moment, I can't protect them, but I can't help them thrive while they're living. While they're so living. I think that's all that we can do and check on and check top people of checking yeah people when it comes to um making jokes right um you know slandering oh well that looks like a man yeah or, yeah yeah oh yeah that's you know, that's something out of gender pronouns mm-hmm. like purposely no that's not for you or you're not gonna do that around me mm-hmm. you know um so i think that's the work never stops never um, stops. we can't sleep Right. Um, and that's just what it is. If I have to lose sleep, if I can't eat because a black trans woman needs resources, then that's just that's, what, that's it just what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I always question like who and what is the biggest threat to black people and also to black trans queer folks, right? Um, for me, I'm always thinking about white supremacy, the patriarchy, mm-hmm. black cis men. Um, but black cis men, their masculinity is a byproduct of the patriarchy. Right. Is a byproduct of white supremacy. Right. Um, but what do you feel, I guess, is the biggest threat? And could you, like, kind of just tell me yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, I think it depends on where I am. Mm-hmm. It depends on where I am. If I'm in Manhattan, then it's going to be a white man. Like, you know, um, I would say, well, I, I mean, to be real, to be, if we're going to be trill, trill. The biggest threat is white women um, because they walk around with this this cape on that they're doing something and they're saving people and there's white women um, hold a lot a lot of keys a lot of money a lot of power um, obviously not more than white men but 
if white women, if literally, if white women were to stop with the bullshit, stop aligning with patriarchy, start getting themselves, like, start holding their white men accountable, a lot would be changed. Like, if they decided that today, tomorrow would be a whole new day. And I think that's, I mean, I'm not expecting for, I'm, to be fair, I'm not expecting for any man to save me um, when it comes to, like, my safety, but I think white women right now are the biggest threat because they're pretending, they're faking. At least I know where white men stand, shit. Like, at least I know what's going on with them. Like, at least I know they want me dead. But with white women, they'll sit there with their pink pussy hats and their fist up in the air and dead ass be writing and putting laws into place that, that are trying to kill me. So I, I think essentially worldwide right now, my threat is white women. And then my next threat is anyone who aligns with white women. Um... And then I would say, essentially, like on my day to day, my next threat would be the black man because that the black cis man, because that is that's who I see all the time. Those are who I've had all my hateful interactions with. Those are who who have publicly loudly said that they want to shoot me in the face, that they were going to kill me, that they were going to hurt me. Things like that It's always been black men. Um so I think it depends on where I'm at and what I'm looking at and the scope of where the threat is. But yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, that is um, a pretty crucial element to, um, I guess, the livelihood and the wellness of Black folks in general, right? Yeah, like it's not even a trans thing; it's yeah. just in general. Um, what do you hope for in the future for people who live, look, and love and express themselves like you do? And what are some things that perhaps we should implement as a people, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes being pro-black is always amazing. It's, it's necessary, right? White people need to be pro-black as well. But um, what can we do as collectively as a human race to move forward into a better direction? So that's a two-part question. So we can start with what do you hope for in the future for people like you, like us? I would hope for more money. Okay. <laughs> I would hope for more money. I think, I think black, queer, trans folks... And- um, need more money. We need more opportunities. I mean, if you think about just between 2017 and 2019 alone, imagine, like, think about how much, how better the world got because we became more visible. Like, just imagine, like, all the, sh- like, if you think about your favorite shows, if you think about your favorite music, if you think about your favorite people, your favorite fashions, your favorite food, if you think about all of your favorite things as black, queer, trans folks or um, queer, trans folks of color who are out here doing the damn thing, changing the narrative, changing the game, changing the world. So I would say opportunities with money involved in those opportunities so that we can continue to share those opportunities because we give back. We don't just take, take, take. That's not how our community rolls. Um, obviously you, you definitely have certain people who might, but as a whole, we doing it for the people, we doing it for the community and you can see that you see it. Um, so I would say that, but when I think about just in general, like how we can help the human race, I think it's really important to just let kids be themselves and encourage them to be their truest, most authentic self and not to hide anything about themselves from anybody um, and just to do good and be good to themselves and therefore other people. And I think if we just continue on that path, um, if we well, if we start getting on that path and, and, and begin moving forward in that direction, I really think that the world would be a better place. People would be more authentic and real and people wouldn't feel like they need to hide. Um, and people would be more happy. They'd be 
every every step that they take would be a step through love because they've learned to love themselves. So I feel like parents need to do better. You need to get on the ball, you know, get to it. We have children to raise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Speaking about children, you're just like perfect. I really enjoy this interview because it just segues into everything. I'm like, okay, I don't even have to like really do nothing. It's just like everything aligns. Yeah, everything aligns. Seriously. So, um, what advice would you give to your younger self, or what is something that you've learned that you are grateful for? That that feeling that I had, that feeling. I'm gonna speak to you, little Joe. That feeling that you have deep down inside that makes you feel like you don't belong, that makes you feel like you aren't really worth anything, the thing that your mother keeps pointing out, the thing that your father keeps pointing out, that your nan is trying to solve, that you're going to therapy for, the thing that you were were put into institutions for, the reason why your mother wants to get you out is the reason why you're just so great, so powerful, so loving. You have been through it. You've been through it, and that's okay. Just keep pushing, keep moving forward. There is, I mean, I know that it sounds real corny and cheesy, but there is really so much else, like just a bigger world on the other side. You just have to make it to that other side. Just know that there is another side. And then once you get to that mountaintop, once you be able, you're able to see over that, you'll the world is just so much brighter, so bigger, so beautiful, so much bolder, and it's all for you. It's all for you. It's all for you, baby. Girl. That's it. It's all, <laughs> it's all yours, man. Um, and then I guess what advice would you give to someone who perhaps just came across this oral trans archive and they're like, wow, you know, Joe's really inspiring me and I just want to know one thing that I can take from them from this interview, right? One thing that you want them to remember from your experience, your life, your journey. Yeah, authenticity is your superpower. Mm. Yeah. It's a superpower. It's the strongest thing that you could ever be, no matter what, whether you feel like you're bad inside, whether you feel like you're good inside, whether you feel like you're twisted, whether you feel like people understand you or don't. Authenticity is your number one superpower. Can't nobody take that away from you. There ain't no kryptonite for that. Mm, that's true. That's true. And back to babies, back to babies. I mean, we're staying on that baby, baby young, youthful vibe, yeah. right? So, what does family look like? What does it feel like um, now? In the future, you yeah. planning to parent? You know, yeah. what does that look like for you? I think about that. I, yeah. look, I think about that all the time. I think about that all the time. Um, um, because I'm a Virgo, I'm a realist. Um, and I know that kids have to be born in order for, for, the, for the planet to continue or, you know, and also know that there's children out there who, who need a home to go to. So I think if anything, I'm more on that route. Um, I can't, I don't see it right now for like children and like, but I do want to be able to give back. I think that's really where family starts, like wanting to be there for somebody else is the very beginning of a family, whether it be wanting to be some, there for somebody else that you create, someone else that you love someone else that you're thinking about. I think I just, I want to be there for so many people. To the people, I want to be somebody that somebody can depend on. Um, and and if you have depended on me, if you've needed me for anything, if I was there for you and vice versa, then you're my family. And I think chosen family is really important in that way. Um, and I love my family, my, my bio family, they're the shit. I appreciate them for like going through it with me. We're definitely on the other side now. Life is good. 
um, and, and to my partner, like, you know, I love her very much and Black Boy Complex would not be where it was if I didn't have the support and her love to kind of guide me through my darkest times um, trying to get this up and going. But yeah, family is just anyone, anyone who's been real with me and anyone who's given me a shoulder. That's it. That's all I could ask for, honestly. So no kids. I don't know. Right I don't know, man. Okay. All, right, all, right, all right, that's cool. But how are things like um, in terms of dating and love life? I know you have a partner. Yeah. How are you navigating that? Especially, I know that you know the past couple of years you've been navigating your actual gender identity. Yeah. So Woo. how did how did it all come to be? Because I know you've been with your partner for a few. Yeah, we're going on our third year in June. Yeah, yeah. Um, woo, child. Um, well, I mean, love, to be fair, for a very long time, I didn't believe in love. I didn't think that love was real, especially love that included longevity and unconditional, um, um, acceptance. That, because I believe in unconditional acceptance, not unconditional love. Um, and so... That was really hard for me, just trying to navigate that. And so when my, my my girl, when she like slid in my DMs, I wasn't even really ready for any of that. Like I really wasn't. Um, so like now, being that she lives in a different state from me, it's really hard. Like especially with this, I, like this, I'm so busy. I'm just so so very busy. Sometimes I feel like I'm not enough for her. I feel like sometimes I could be doing way more to show her love, to show her appreciation. And I think, honestly, we, we even had over the weekend, the past weekend, had a really intense conversation about where our relationship was going, about what we were actually contributing to each other and how we, we can elevate each other to move forward, to actually be together in a partnership. Because, like, people be calling, you know, like, I feel like queer and gay people, we call our partners our partners, but they don't really be partnering with us. And I think it's really important to have a partner, someone I can lean on, someone I can depend on, someone who, who, who I call my girl my 180, like, literally the other half of me. And so I think it's really important to, as I'm a whole, like, a half is a whole, and it's, anyway. But I, think it's, <laughs> but I think it's really important to to have that type of foundation. So right now, currently, I'm like I'm like really navigating specifically with my gender identity. Like we've had a few issues with like you know like sexual experiences um, and me feeling like especially like with me having my all of my parts on my body that I came out this plant like came out my mother's womb with. It's been super hard trying to navigate having. Super big, extra large, double dribble ditties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said I wasn't it. Ready. Yeah. <laughs> it's been super hard, man. Because yeah. you know, but also like scared to bind because I feel like I couldn't. I like, can I breathe? I don't know. People are freaking me out. So, just trying to navigate what it means to be in this shell, and also deal with someone else's shell. And everyone's shell, you open that thing up, there's a whole bunch of things and issues and problems and things you got to solve. And being completely dedicated to working through them so that you can make it to the other side and be like this whole complete thing that deals with the problems that you go through thoughtfully and introspectively with the care and the love that you have for each other still being the number one priority. So right now I feel like I've like I've made it there. I've grown so much when it comes to love and relationships, and I really want to continue and push through and see where that goes. And I think as as someone who is non-monogamous, um, I I haven't really entertained like being with other people, but I am entertaining the fact that I like more than just cisgendered women. And like, what does that mean? And like, 
how how can I move forward with like that being something that I'm super curious about in the most respectful way that I possibly can? Like, how can I holler at that girl over here and be like, hey, it was good. Like, you know, and, and, and detaching myself from the fixation that I used to have over specifically genitals and like what it meant to actually love somebody as a person. So I've been going on like sex fasts and like trying to figure out what everything really means for me. And I feel like I'm becoming, I don't have, I don't really know. And I think that's really great. I feel really good about not knowing. And I'm really interested in seeing what it looks like a month from now as I'm growing into more what I feel is the appropriate way to be the best me sexually and in a romantic relationship. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, because I know that oftentimes people assume that because you're black and trans or queer or whatever, that you are going to struggle when it comes to finding love or right. you know dating and things of that nature. And I think it brings us back to what you said before, authenticity, right? Yeah. Because that's truly what love is, or a relationship is, or a partnership mm-hmm. is. It's right. your your most authentic self, and they are as well. And then you come together, and it's just like, boom, it's magical, boom. right? And yeah. it has nothing to do with your genitalia. It has nothing to do with your gender identity. It's so much deeper than that. Right. It's a soul connection. Mm-hmm. So um, I always like to just ask that question, especially for us, because people mm-hmm. assume that life is so tough. You, how are you going to find love because you're queer? How are you going to find love because you're trans? There's somebody out there for everybody, yeah. I promise you. Definitely, definitely. Um, and also, on that note about genitalia, because that's a big thing in the mm-hmm. community, right? So you're saying right now you don't plan on medically doing anything right. in this moment, and that might shift, and that's okay. You right. also have the choice to do something, but you also have a choice not to do something as a trans right. person. Um, but what are five things that you love about yourself or five things that you would um, describe yourself as? Because I think oftentimes people will say, oh, you're black, you're trans. Yeah. So they have these labels placed upon you and they have yet to get to know who right, you are right. before, right? Mm-hmm. So how would you describe Joe? Who is Joe? Yeah. And who are you, like, who are you trying to present to the world? And what do you want them to know? For sure. Um... Five things. Yeah. Four. Hungry. Yes. Vibrant. Mm-hmm. Thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Humble. Mm. I know this might not be a humble thing to say, but definitely humble. I, I am aware of everything that I that I've been given and I'm so grateful. Um insatiable. Would you like to expound on any of those? You when you meet me, you just can't get enough of me. That's just straight up. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> you, so much. you just can't yeah. get enough of me. Um, authentic. Mm. Is that five? You, you did six. That's okay. okay. I mean, you're magical. <laughs> if you have more than five, no matter just yeah, five. Yeah. Six people, is a good number. Some people struggle to even hit three. Oh, uh, yeah. No, big facts. I can tell that you love yourself. Yeah, I do. You've, you've done a lot of work to get to this Ooh, point. Child. So, like, you could probably miss 15. <laughs> you want to keep going. You have time. Yeah, no. Nah, I mean, I just, I mean, essentially, that that's just kind of the, like, the nice. The core. Yeah. So, yeah. so, those are things that you love about yourself. Yeah. And also that you want people to get from you. Yeah. At the same time. Absolutely. That's really beautiful. Um. I want to know what make what makes you feel the most alive, or when do you feel the most alive and joyful? And who are you with? What are you doing? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, I know that in another interview, we asked Ryan from Brooklyn Boyhood, and they said that they feel the most joy when they're outside in nature. So, um, 
That's exactly what I was gonna uh, say. This is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I love my favorite. Like, and I and it's something that I can't wait to get back to. Going to the to the deli up the street, talking to my Italian friends, getting me a couple good hearty sandwiches, a couple drinks, some chips, got some alcohol in the car, taking it to the lake, sitting down with my girl and my friends, playing my music. And just dipping in and out of the water all day long. That is like my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite thing to do. I cannot wait. I'm going to put a lot of time on the calendar for that one this year. Yeah, I really love water. And I think the correlation of water and life and blackness and transness, it's literally magic. It's yeah. freedom. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, it liberates our soul to be in the water. So it's like my black trans body submerged in water where the water could literally drown me, take me, right? Yeah. But I'm kind of fighting that force with my body at the same time. Right. I'm okay. Yeah, and it's, it's like life, right? Like we're, we're floating, but we're actually in control. We're pushing against right. the stream and the waves. So water and blackness is just always something Word. I like to correlate. Um, so that's really, really beautiful because I love the water too. It brings me so much peace um, and reconnects me because Lord knows, life is tough. <laughs> life is but when tough. when I go to the beach, when I go to the water, I'm always able to recalibrate. So you're going to the beach then? Oh, yeah, you already, oh, know. You already know. I'm trying to hit the beach every single <laughs> weekend this summer. Like, I'm not playing. Um, so I wanted to talk about um, things that inspire you, people that inspire you. Because um, I want to kind of stay on this, like, flow of what makes you feel good, what makes you feel joyful, what brings you peace. Because I think oftentimes we, we, we get stuck in the narrative of black transness in terms of, you know, what triggers you, you know, what makes you sad. I don't want to focus on that. I want people to listen to this, tune in, and really just understand the joy of your life, right? Right. Because you're happy. I am. Right? Okay. Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah, but it's okay to be sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, So what is your greatest inspiration, if you can? That be a person, a song, um, mood, a meme. um, Yeah. I say my greatest inspiration is my great grandfather. Mm. Um, that's what I would have said, but now I think my greatest inspiration is my mother, mm. which is so crazy. Yeah, tell tell people a little bit background. Yeah, yeah. Um, me and my mother just been, you know. Well, first off, my mother's a brilliant black woman, mother of five. Um, been through a lot in her life. Her, grand, her, her father, who was my grandfather, was a drug addict, uh, went to Vietnam, came back, um, you know, strung out, you know, had to deal with dealing with that. He passed, My grandfather passed of AIDS, um, and my mother had to power through that. Um, my mother deals with mental illness. Um, she, she, she has been working through it for as long as I can live. And when I think about my mother and how severe her mental illness is uh, um, and how she somehow always kept us fed, always kept food on the table and like good food too, like always made sure we had a nice home, always made sure it was clean, always made sure that we stayed together, which is super important because as someone who also has mental illness, um, she has bipolar one. I had psychothemia, which might be, like, I don't know, I don't think it's number, but it is under the bipolar spectrum. And when I think about the things that I've gone through, and to imagine having kids in the picture that I actually had to take care of, 
I don't know how she did it. And I think that's so inspiring to me that somehow she, I mean, obviously black women should never be struggling the way that my mother struggled. I think that a lot of the black men that she dated, our fathers were pieces of shit and they left her, they left her out to dry. And I think the fact that she pushed past that and is now like, now all of her children are doing so great. We're happy. We got our issues, but whatever. And we love her and we're there for her. And she still provides a safe space for us and holds us down. Like I was just talking to my mother and she was with my sister fighting to get a cop to, to take a, to take a ticket off her record. And like, <laughs> that's how she's spending her Wednesday afternoon. That's crazy to me. Like my mom is really the OG and like, she inspires me every day to be the best me that I could be so I can make her proud. I think it's something about being a child of a black woman. Yeah, right? that's some crazy shit. Actually, like a divine <laughs> life to to be <laughs> just like this is my mom. Like right. my mom too has gone through so much. Um, and normally at the hands of black men, right? And it's right. just like she's still pushing through, and she's the one that taught me how to be me, right? right. And yet she had no idea. Do you feel that way? Yeah, too? yeah. Like your mom taught you how to be the best yeah. for yourself, and you are the complete anti, um, anti what she wanted of you. Yeah, right? for sure. But at the same time, now she realizes everything. that you're everything yeah. that she ever wanted. Everything that she yeah. ever wanted. That's crazy. My mom, me and my mother aren't. I'm learning to love her. Um, I'm learning to love her more now. I can honestly say that I didn't love my mother when I was growing up. I hated her, and I wanted to do a lot of crazy things. But now that we're in a different space now, I like to think that I remember having a conversation with her like a few weeks ago. And I was like, you're not telling us I was because my mother's not really that affectionate. And I think her past kind of created that reality for her. So she's not really affectionate. She doesn't do words of affirmations. Her love language is acts of service and gifts. Right. Uh, but like we were talking, I was like, my like. You know, my brother was graduating. Like, right now, in this moment, I have two little sisters who are 18 and 20, both going into the, well, one of them's in the armed services, and they're both getting deployed. They're both going out. My brother just graduated from college, the first one of our siblings to ever graduate. And like me, I'm doing so many great things over here. And I'm like, Ma, like, are you telling your kids that you're proud of them? Like, are you telling your kids that we're, like, out here doing our thing? Like, and she's like, I'm proud of y'all. I'm like, no, 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 no. Are you telling us you're proud of us? And she's like, well, I'm proud of you because you're independent and you're, like, doing good things. And, like, she don't really know what I do, but she, like, knows that I'm doing something. You're doing good things and you're out here and, like, you don't need me for nothing. And, like, you're really, she's like, you're just independent. You're doing your thing and I'm so proud of you. And, like, even though I'm like, you have no clue about what it is that I do. I still feel like, wow, like, that's real, too. Like, I appreciate you for at least saying that. And um, she said I had a mind of my own. She's not, like, before she hated that. Now she yeah, loves it. Yeah. And so, like you said, ev- everything everything that she was is everything that I am. And sometimes you hate that shit. It's beautiful. It's absolutely <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. but you got to love it. I'm just really happy that you rectified your relationship with your mother. Hell yeah. Because I do know a lot of people who have lost a mother, mm-hmm. you know, and like I wish I did this I wish I told her that I wish that we had a moment to spend time together I I always go to my mother whenever yeah. I need some some just like I don't even know like what do you just to get away like I mm-hmm. can feel like a complete two year old with my mom yeah, you need that okay. loving man and you need that loving 
that position of being my mother. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really just happy that you rectified something. You guys have been through a lot. Yeah. Um, but back on the note of mental health, mm-hmm. um, in terms of her mental health situation as a black woman and a mother, right? Right. Raising children, five children, you said. Um, and then you're experiencing your own mental health situation. Yeah. How are you navigating that? What resources have you found, um, especially as a person that is black and trans? Um, are there resources out there that you're aware of? Um, could you tell people about them if you have found them? Yeah. Or what do you think we should do to create this? Well, good question. Um, I will say to create a resource for people, I I just teamed up with um, an amazing person named Raquel. Um, they are a licensed therapist, and they'll be joining the Black Boy Complex team to provide really um, impactful um, services for our community, but also just like a really great resource for um, creating and facilitating spaces where people can really get the help that they need um, while still being vulnerable and authentic. Um, so that's something that I'm looking for, forward to. Um, but when it comes to like mental health, I've had really bad experiences with therapists. Um, I've had really bad experiences with the American healthcare system. They've always let me down. I've never had, I've have, they have always let me down. Um, so it's been really hard to just deal with that. And so I will say when I feel like something's not serving me, I cut it off completely and so that's what I did. So no, I don't go to therapy. I don't um I don't like seek any type of mental help. I but I do have a primary care provider. Um I go to this um doctor's office called One Medical Group. Really great, really great service. Um most of the providers are at at the very least LGBT um LGBTQAI competent. Um they call you by they don't dead name you. They recognize your gender identity and your pronouns. They do what they have to do to help you, um, and they'll assist you in any way. Um, so if you're hearing this, reach out to me. I'll hook you up with a discount and or completely waive your fee. It is, it is a member-supported practice, so they do have an annual membership fee associated with that, but you really get what you pay for. Like It's really great service, and they have a team that works to make sure that they find a therapist for you or whatever. So And they're located all over the country. Um, so, um, Again, one, medical one medical group. Yeah. So you can go to one medical.com and look up providers in your area and like, yeah, give them a call, see how we can help. Uh, they can help you. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, so there's that. Um, so I go to a provider actually right across the street, 42nd street, fifth Ave. Um, and I go to my provider. She's a black woman. She's amazing. And she's been working with me through my darkest times here in New York. And, um, I can, I'm happy to say that. I feel very emotionally and mentally stable. I'm off my medication, which was a really big goal for me. And I'm going on a bigger and like to other options now with my health. Now we're just focusing on, you know, getting my weight together and stuff like that. So I don't have like the best resources. However, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that I can find some for you. I know the Audre Lord project is really good with that. I know, um, <clears throat> I know Callan Lord is really good about finding places like that. Um, and also there is a website called The Lighthouse. And it's literally like an LGBT, I don't know if anyone's heard of ZocDoc, but it's like an LGBTQAI friendly um, um, database with providers across like across the nation who are LGBT friendly and therapy, primary care, 
endocrinologist, like anything, any kind of medical provider that you need, it's going to be on lighthouse.com. Um, and they're building their database daily. So if, you know, people, providers and doctors can go and input their information and be added to the list of competent providers who are available to care for you. Well, I'm just happy that you found someone yeah. to work with. Thanks. Because I think oftentimes people think the only way to um, navigate mental health is through a therapist. Right? right. And I think it's just finding someone that you connect with who makes you or helps you feel safe. Yeah. And is willing to listen <clears throat> and actually be there for right. you and support right. you in the ways that you need. Right. Right. So that's beautiful that you found because I know I know there's a shortage of yeah, uh, for sure. black uh Primary care physician? Yeah, for sure. sure. And they keep it, you know, when you go to therapy and they, because I've been a therapist, I'll be like, I want a black woman. And then I get a black woman who is a therapist. I've had two so far and I've been dead named. I've been, my pronouns haven't been used appropriately. They want me to explain my queerness to them so that they can help me. Like it just didn't make any sense. So I just stopped going. And when it comes to like the care that I've gotten, like really when I think about just how I've been able to pull myself out of my extreme depression and really kind of put a quell on my spurts of, um, um, I would say, because with psychothemia, you have ups and downs, and, like, so I can, like, kind of level my emotions out, because sometimes I act really sporadic. Um, was been able to just realize that it's okay to feel the way that I'm feeling. A lot of times I was fighting against my sadness, fighting against my pain, fighting against my, like, the internal issues that I was having. And when I realized that I didn't actually have to fight against them, that it was okay to be sad. Like, no, actually, they did you wrong, and that made you feel bad. And like, oh, no, actually, you didn't do what you said you were supposed to do. That means you have a lack of integrity at this moment. How are we going to help and make sure that you, Joe, can be the best you next time? Like, when I stop feeling, like, just, it's it's so hard to not feel bad for yourself when you got all this shit that's going on, like, knocking you, beating you down, telling you you're not good enough, telling you're not worthy, Deep down in the corners of your mind, you don't even really want to be here. You ain't asked to be here. You don't want to be on this planet. How the hell did you get here? You ready to go? And then when I had to realize that going back to the mountain, like there's so much else on the other side. And if you want to see that, Joe, like you know you're so great. If you want to see that, let's set ourselves up for success. Let's make sure that like write it down in the book. Make sure that you're looking at the mirror every day, even if you got to put post-it notes, even if you got to tell your friend and be like, there's been times I called my friends up. I was like, bro, just tell me I'm cute, man. Like, yeah, no, And that's man. just it, bro. Like, Just tell me I'm cute. Tell me I'm worth something. Having, having a really good friend group around you changes everything. That's a true testament. Yeah, yeah, straight up. I appreciate you sharing that. I felt it. I was here like, oh, yeah, I'm interviewing. <laughs> um, so if time money, energy, identity, sexuality, like all these things that people worry about, if they weren't a factor in life, what would you do, what would you go after if you knew that you, you wouldn't fail? This. Would, okay. This. This, bear, this. this is exactly yeah. what I want to do. This is my life's work. I'm so happy to do it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And um, Black Boy Complex, is anything that we should be looking out for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're hearing, I think they put the date up. May 22nd is now. So um, June 2nd um, from 5 to 7, we're going to be in Philly with a complex conversations at the Moves Gallery. That's um, in Philly. So definitely check us out. Um, Obviously, you can. We'll also be doing an event with Brooklyn Boyhood for Pride. Um, So keep an eye out for June 23rd. Um, And then moving forward, we have 
uh, we're teaming up with Black Trans TV um, in Philly, um, July 27th. We're going to have two events that same day, so it's action-packed. So stay tuned for that information. So if you hear that, pull out your Google cows, lock them dates in because we're going hard. Um, and I really would love to see all my family there um, so that we can grow together and become one. If you want to find one, um, what I'm doing and, and um, check out Black Boy Complex, it's literally at Black Boy Complex, B-O-I-C-O-M-P-L-E-X. Um, and that's every platform, Facebook. We have blackboycomplex.com. So you can just go there, too, and, and check out everything that we have. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we live. All right. Well, this was great. Yeah. I had a great time just listening. Thank you so much for having me. Hearing, you know, your life, like, yeah, on we, a different level, yeah, right? we like, on another level. We never even really talked like this, yeah, so yeah, so yeah. This was, this was amazing, and I hope that this resonates with somebody, yeah, one person out there. And I know it's gonna reach a lot of people out there. Um, is there anything else you want to leave them with before we sign off? Yeah, um, I want to, I want to say something because I'm a Virgo and I feel like I should because I have valuable thoughts. Um, yes, from yes. <laughs> yourself, but I just really want you to know that whatever it is. Wherever you are in your phase in life is exactly where you should be. Um, and e- even if it's the most unsavory place, believe me, I know. Wherever you are right now is exactly where you should be and everything aligns if you've aligned yourself with the most authentic you. So just keep up. Just keep doing it. Keep powering through. And if you have any questions or if you need help with something, feel free to reach out to me. My DMs are always open. Remind people again your name. My name is Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're amazing. I love you, Joe. Thank you so much for this. No, man. Thank you for having me.